Welcome to the Missouri Baptist University Chapel Podcast. Missouri Baptist University is a Christian liberal arts institution located in St. Louis, Missouri, that seeks to teach, empower, and inspire students for service and learning. To learn more about Missouri Baptist University, visit mobap.edu. We hope you enjoy today's message. Y'all can do better than that. Can we give the Lord a hand clap in this place today? Come on, somebody. Would you look at your neighbor and tell them you look beautiful this morning? Give them a high five, a hug, a handshake, whatever's relationally appropriate. All right, thank you. Let's just jump right into the message. So, uh, my best friend from high school, uh, he was in the military. He was in the Special Forces, and, and he doesn't talk a lot about what he did on his deployments, but, but one time I got him to kind of open up a little bit and share some stories um, that he'd had from overseas. And I come to find out that my friend was a halo jumper. Have any of you heard of that? Halo, it's an acronym, H-A-L-O. It means high altitude, low opening, high altitude, low opening. And so this type of jump is used by military special forces to get behind enemy lines without being detected. So this means that they jump from around 40,000 feet in the air, and then they free fall for 39,000 feet, and then 800 feet before they hit the ground, they pull their parachutes. And to top it off, They are probably doing this at night. So why so high and why at night? Well, by keeping the aircraft up high, it can remain out of range of anti-aircraft fire and missiles, which means they are trying not to get shot out of the air. And then jumping at night, it means that they are harder to see by the enemy. And so imagine jumping out of a plane 40,000 feet up into just black space, into nothingness, and then free falling for 39,000 feet. And when they're falling, they can reach velocity up to 126 miles per hour. So as my friend is telling me the story, I had to just interrupt them, and I had to just ask the question, why? What would possess someone to want to do that, to willingly subject themselves to doing that? You're jumping out of a plane, 40,000 feet. You're free-falling, 39,000 feet, so that you don't get shot. Just to land on the ground, and then the deadly mission starts. Why would you do this? And I remember he looked at me and he smiled and then he said, because I love this country and because I love you. And there is an enemy who wants to take your freedom and take your life. And he has to go through me first. I said, dang, man. It was like the coolest thing I've ever heard anyone say in my life, right? What he's saying is that there is an enemy out there and that this enemy wants to come and take your life, take your freedom away from you. And that there are men and women who are willing to put their lives on the line to rescue you, to save you. 
And scripture reveals to us that each of us, we have an enemy that wants to take our freedom. And they want to destroy our life. And scripture reveals to us too that we also have a protector. We also have a savior who is willing to come and die and put his life on the line to secure you and to save you. So let's pray together and then we're going to jump into God's word. Lord, thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you so much for this time. And I pray that you would just be with us here in this moment. Lord, I pray again that you would open up eyes that have not seen you for who you are. As their savior, as their protector, as their father in heaven who loves them so much. Lord, I pray for every person in here, Lord, that you would just begin to do something in their heart and in their life and reveal your love to them in a real, true, authentic, genuine way in this place today. And Lord, be with me uh, as I preach this message, Lord. Go before me, in Jesus' name, amen. So we are wrapping up our series. We are on week four of our series called The Gospel, right? And so many Christians talk about this gospel. You've probably heard this phrase before, but maybe you've wondered, how does it apply to our lives? So in this series, what we have tried to do is define what the gospel means and what it means for you. So over the last three weeks, right, we talked about creation, that God creates. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's wonderful. He creates all things, and he creates humans to live and dwell with him forever in perfect peace and harmony. But then sin enters into the world. People rebel. They reject against their creator. They want to be their own gods. And we feel the effects of that even today. And then Dr. Lumpkin, he examined Jesus's call to repent and to believe. What does that mean to repent and believe in Jesus? And last week, uh, Pastor Josh, he talked about Luke 19.10, and he talks about this God who came to seek us out. And so today, we're going to wrap up our series, and we're going to talk about a really obscure verse that you've probably never heard before. It's John 3.16. You've probably skimmed over it. You may not have heard it before. I have it memorized. Don't be intimidated. And it says this, kidding, it's a really well-known verse, you've probably heard it a million times, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says this, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How many of you have heard this verse before? Just about every single hand in here. And the problem with this being such a well-known verse or a popular verse is sometimes it can lose its power. Not because the words at all are deficient, they're not, but just because we've become immune to the shock of what God is telling us here. We've stopped being blown away by this verse. Again, not because the words aren't incredible, but we've stopped paying attention to what the disciple John is truly trying to communicate to us. Most often we think of Jesus, and sometimes we have this idea of this really soft, laid-back, hippie-looking guy walking around carrying sheep, right? I don't know where this idea comes from, but it does not come from Scripture. Jesus is not passive. He is not live and let live. He's not walking around throwing up the peace sign. Jesus, here, this verse reveals to us that Jesus was sent on a deadly rescue mission from God the Father as God incarnate to redeem and restore the world to save us. Yes, Jesus, meek and mild, gentle and lowly, love and grace and truth and all these things, but he was on a mission to save you. 
The Bible tells us that God looked upon the broken, sinful world that we find ourselves in, infested with murder and slavery and rape and spiritual deadness, people wandering around aimlessly, trusting in idols, trying to find themselves, find happiness, find joy, find peace, find salvation in things of this world. And nothing seems to do the trick. And he sends prophets and kings and priests to warn the people of their sin, to teach them God's commandments, to teach them the laws, and people reject them. And God says, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself, amen? And he sends his son, God incarnate, in human flesh into the world. And he tells us here in this verse, if you would believe in me, You won't perish, but you're going to have everlasting life. You won't ever have to know what it's like to be separated from God. And you can live in his presence. You can know him and you can dwell with him forever. And so he comes to earth to save us. And we reject him. And we spit on him. We ignore him. We pretend he isn't real. We killed him, we beat him, tortured him, stripped him naked, and nailed him to a cross. And this was not a metaphor. Jesus was a man, and he was held down, and nails were forcibly hammered into his body, hard enough to hang him from. And he hung on a cross hours, and he died. And this is a historical fact. Whether or not you believe that he was God, there was a man named Jesus who was crucified. This is attested by Roman and Jewish historians. But this, that's a sermon for another day. But Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And the question that we all have to ask, why? What would possess someone to do this? What would possess someone to willingly subject themselves to this? And the verse tells us, for God so loved the world. And Jesus looks at you and he says, I did this because I love you. And there is an enemy who wants to take your freedom and take your life. But he's got to go through me first. Amen. And you may be asking, how does, how does that work? Jesus died, and, and now I'm free from what? I'm saved from, from what? It just seems to me, from the outside looking in, a Jewish carpenter got killed 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross. What does that have to do with me? Well, it reveals a few things about God. Number one... God loves the world. And this is important. This is a really extremely important. It may seem simple, but it's extremely important for us to understand this. This in itself, we could spend an entire semester on just unpacking the love of God. But God so loved. This is a different view than most of us may have of God. Even as Christians, right? We picture God sometimes as austere. He's a Santa Claus in the sky. He's far off. He's distant. Before I was a Christian, I was actually an agnostic. Even in college, I was an agnostic. What does that mean? Well, I believe that there was a God. Things things seem to be somewhat too ordered for this all to be random and an accident. But I thought the world was just created. He doesn't care much for it, right? He created the world. He spun it and then wished us good luck. I just took a a look around the world and said, God must not really care about us. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you feel that right now. But this passage right here that I just read, it challenges that view 
That life, it just challenges, the life of Jesus challenges that view that God is distant and God is far off and that God doesn't care. This passage tells us that God didn't just create us, wish us luck, but he is invested in you. And he's not just invested in you, but in the whole entire world. He loves us. He loves us so much. And that love for you motivates him to do something about the sin and separation that we all experience. So what does John 3:16 and 17 teach us about God and his love and ourselves? Well, I've only got a limited amount of time, so we've got a couple points. Number one, God's love provides. If you're taking notes, God's love provides. And it provides what, maybe you're asking. Again, it provides so many things, but we're gonna just focus on a few things this morning. It provides freedom. Look at your neighbor and say, God's love provides freedom. John 8.34 tells us this. Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, raise your hand if you practice sin. Just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) Everyone who practices sin, it's all of us, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. And Jesus says, if you practice sin, you're enslaved by it. You're in bondage to it. You're bound and controlled by sin. It is a power of darkness, and it has a hold on your life. This is a problem. Why is this a problem? Because sin separates us from God. We're enslaved by it. We're bound up by it, and we are far from God. And one of his sermons, Charles Spurgeon, he says this about sin. I think it's one of the best illustrations about sin and how it practically applies to your life. This applies to every single person in here. He says this, the ungodly, first of all, find sin to be a bait. And they're charmed by its apparent pleasantness. He indulges in it. And then he becomes entangled in its meshes and he cannot escape. That which first attracted the sinner now detains him. Evil habits are formed. The soul readily becomes accustomed to evil. And then even if the man should have a lingering thought of better things and form frail resolutions, his iniquities hold him captive like a bird in the fowler's snare. You have seen the foolish fly descend into the sweet, which is spread to destroy him. He sips and sips again, and by and by, he plunges boldly in to feast himself greedily. When satisfied, though, he attempts to fly, but the sweet now holds him by the feet and clogs his wings. He's a victim, and the more he struggles, the more surely he's held Even so it is with sin, that we are first tempted by bait, and then afterwards a snare. Having sin, we become bewitched with sin. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a person who's baited in and charmed and lured in by sin only to become ensnared and trapped by it. And once you're lured in, you're unable to escape. The more the animal, he says in this passage, struggles, the more it's held down by the deadly clutches of the trap. And he says, sin lures you in with apparent pleasantness. How many of you know that's true? Solely for the purpose of enslaving you, trapping you, and killing you. Now let's be honest. 
Most of us don't look at sin like this. You wouldn't say, none of you, I sure would say you're a slave to sin. You know, the actions that you're doing right now may seem harmless. You have no idea, though, what this is doing to your soul. Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We've all been lured in by a lie. You've been lured in by the enemy to believe that what you're doing is okay. That what you're doing is just watching videos and looking at images. It's okay. Or you aren't, you aren't abusive or mean. You just got a bit of a temper, right? You, aren't a, you are not a glutton. You just like to treat yourself. You know what I mean? Amen? You aren't a selfish person. No, definitely not. You just don't like to help people because they didn't work as hard as you did. They don't deserve it. It's just sex. It's just physical. It's, it's not a big deal. And Satan isn't going to say to you, hey, I want to ruin your life. I want to enslave you. No, he's going to entice you, like Spurgeon said. He is going to lay the trap and then watch us greedily plunge into the apparent pleasantness. We're going to be enticed by the smell, by the taste, by the touch. And over time, what happens? He says, you form evil habits. And then you're so ensnared and you're so trapped that you become a victim to its clutches. And now you are ruled by a slave driver that is sin. And it is pushing you further and further and deeper and deeper into a hopeless life of sin. And you wonder why you can't find your purpose in life. And you wonder why God hasn't opened any doors to you. You wonder why all of your relationships have failed. You wonder why your family is torn apart. You wonder why everything that you put your hand to does not prosper. Jesus tells you it's because you are in chains. You've become enslaved to sin and you are bound by it. When I was a little kid... I remember watching uh, something on the History Channel uh, about Harry Houdini, the great Houdini. How many of you heard of Harry Houdini, right? Most people in here. And he was known for his escapes. And one of them, he was chained up and he was tied up and then he was lowered into a river or a body of water or something like that. And then somehow miraculously under the water, he becomes unchained and he swims out to the top and everybody applauds. And I was probably six or seven, actually probably more like eight or nine. And I remember thinking, I can do that. So I convinced my two older sisters to tie me up. Thank God we did not have a pool or I would not be standing here today. But we didn't have any chains, so they bound me up in like rope and, and, and bungee cords and we didn't have a pool or any, any body of water. So I'm like, throw me in the closet and lock the door and I'm going to miraculously untie myself and pop out. And this may surprise you, but as a, as a kid, I was a crybaby. Maybe that doesn't surprise you. I was a crybaby. So I'm in there, and suddenly I realize this is a bad idea. Why? Because I'm literally tied up in a dark closet, and the door's locked. And I don't have a key. I don't have any way of getting out. And on top of that, I'm scared of the dark. So this is just not a good moment for little Skylar. So what do I do? The only thing I know how to do. I scream. Scream for my dad. Dad! Help! Help me! Help me, please, Dad! Are you there? So my dad hears crying and screaming from a closet in the house, and he goes to investigate, and he finds me 
tied up, thrown into this closet. And I remember him asking me, why did you do this? Which is a reasonable question. My response, because it looked like fun. I tell that story because I think of a lot of us look at sin. It looked like fun, right? It tied you up, hit the lights, threw you in the closet, locked the door, and then you found yourselves bound up and you're unable to escape. Try and try as you might. We need our Father to come and set us free. Look at what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Look at verse 36. So if the son sets you free, come on, somebody, you are free indeed. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Come on, somebody. Let me know you're still paying attention. That's good news for someone in here this morning. God's love provides us freedom in Jesus Christ. Though you are bound up and chained up and have no hope of getting out, Jesus says, you're chained up, you're lost, and he's waiting for you to call out and say, I need some help. Save me. And he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And maybe you're asking the question now, well, how does this work? How? How does he do that? How does he set us free? How does any of this make sense? Again, this still seems very austere and vague and distant. How does this apply to my life? Well, my second point, God's love propitiates. Oh, come on, we're getting theological up in here today. Look at your neighbor and tell them God's love propitiates. What does this mean? This is just a big word, right? This is a big word. I'm going to explain it to you guys. I spent a lot of money and got a master's degree to explain this to you guys. So listen up, all right? This is a big word. And it means that you have accumulated a very large debt because of your sin. And they're needed to be payment and punishment for the sins that you have committed, right? Because God is just, God is righteous, and sin has to be dealt with, right? Right, sin has to be dealt with. And the Bible tells us there is a penalty for sinning against a holy and perfect God, right? We would think that's pretty fair. We sin against a God, there's a punishment, and there's a penalty. And it says the wages of sin is death and separation from God. God's holy. He's perfect. Sin causes separation from him. So there's a problem. Sin requires death and separation from God. And we've all sinned. So that means we've got to suffer a consequence for our actions and be punished. But this is where the good news comes in. Come on, this is the gospel. But instead of us receiving that punishment, we deserve Jesus takes our place instead. And he bears our sin and our transgressions. And he bears upon himself the wrath of God towards sin. And then he gives us his righteousness and gives us his status as a child of God. To understand this better, uh, imagine a courtroom, all right? And God is the judge. And you are on trial. It's a scary thought. And this will all happen one day to every single person in this room. 
And God, will, he's reading aloud your crimes. The things that you did that you thought nobody saw, that nobody knew about, and he reads them out. Lust, theft, idolatry, anger, greed, gossip, slander, assault, cheating, lying. But justice must be served now. The time has come. There are consequences for sinning against a holy God. And the time has come to pay up. All right, are you imagining this with me? How do you feel? How do you feel? Scared. This is scary. I'm scared. There's consequences now, and it's time to pay up. And then the verdict is read. You are guilty. And just as you are about to be taken out to face your punishment, someone stands up. And he's like, I'll, I'll take the handcuffs off him, off her, and I'll take their place. And so the judge says, okay. And so you're standing there bewildered. Uh, 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 what? And they take the handcuffs off of you and say, you're free to go. And then they put him on this man, Jesus, and then they take him away and they kill him. And your criminal record is wiped completely clean. And upon you, they place this man's innocence. And on that man, they place your crimes. And you are free to go. I was meeting with a student on, uh, on, on the, one of the, the cheer teams this week, and we were talking a little bit about this verse. And I read it. I'm like, what do you think of that? So that's pretty unbelievable. And it is. Why would anyone do that? This, this verse tells us. That God so loved you. That's why. That is the gospel. We are guilty. We deserve the cross. But Jesus, fully God, fully man, he loves you so much. He stands in for you and he takes your punishment. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserved it. But because he loves you. That's it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And you couldn't possibly do anything to deserve it. But he looks at you and he looks at your life and he says, I just want to know you. I want to save you. I want to redeem you. There is an enemy that is trying to take away your freedom in your life, but he has got to go through me first. This is what he says in Romans. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then he says, for one will we'll scarcely die for a righteous person. Like maybe if they're a good person, you, you might die for them, right? Though perhaps for a good reason, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, <laughs> Christ died for us. Look at this verse in Colossians. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, everything we've done, every bad thought, every bad deed, every bad action has been forgiven and it has been canceled. The record of debt, he says, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is a picture of what Jesus did for you. Because of the cross of Jesus, because of this, 
because of his self-giving sacrifice. In Christ, hear me now, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are made sons and daughters of God Almighty. We're no longer guilty in Christ Jesus. If we put our hope, if we repent of our sin and we put our hope in Jesus, we're no longer guilty. We are made innocent. That's the gospel. It's the good news that God so loved the world. It isn't that that God was so angry and he hated the world. And it wasn't that, hey, you were so good that you earned it. It is God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son so that whoever, any of you, anybody, whoever believes in him can have everlasting life. And that's what I want for you. That's why I am here. This is my mission here in life, to preach that until I die. That we were sinners, we were separated from him, and it does not matter what you have done, it does not matter what you are currently doing. Christ died for you, and you can be forgiven, and you can have eternal life, amen? Can we pray together one more time this morning? God, (laughs) thank you so much. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't have possibly deserved it or earned it. And yet you loved us so much. You were willing to be sent on a rescue mission from heaven to earth to save each person in this room right now. We are so thankful. We can never repay this. And you don't even ask us to. But you do call us to repent. You call us to believe. That's what happens now. So Lord, I pray right now, even as I'm praying, that you would be stirring up in people's hearts and people would be repenting of their sin. They're saying, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I need you. And Lord, I know you are faithful to answer every cry out to you. So Lord, I pray that you would just be stirring that up in our hearts. And give people the courage and the boldness to say, I no longer want to live in sin, but I want to live for Christ. And it's not because I did anything. It's not because I earned it. But it's because of this great love that I've experienced from God. We are so thankful for you. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a shout? Come on.